If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. This is Chris. I'm here with Justin, and we are here with a very special guest, the uh, mastermind behind the uh, brand new Sky Blazer album, Infinity's Wings. We have Johannes Freekholm, or otherwise known as Johannes Sky Blazer, here with us from uh, Sweden. Um, Johannes, welcome. Um, we haven't ha- had an interview in a while, so it's uh, exciting to have somebody on to talk to us. Uh, welcome to the Metal Exchange. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be here. I've been following this uh, little podcast uh, for a while now. I've been a part of your Facebook group. It's really great to finally be able to be here in person as well. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, Justin, how are you this morning? I am great. It is a uh, We're recording this on Saturday morning in New York City time, and uh, we are expecting some snow in the forecast potentially over the next uh, 24 to 48 hours. So, I uh, got the firewood ready, but uh, very much looking forward to this uh, to this conversation, Johannes. So thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. So I guess we could uh, get the ball rolling and just ask, um, you know, a little bit about uh, your, you know, childhood, your upbringing, like what kind of um, when it really struck you that um, you wanted to be a musician and, and what kind of music you listened to as a younger, a younger man and, and just kind of that. A little bit of the the backstory of, of Johannes. Yeah, of course. Uh, like uh, in my childhood, uh, like the first instrument I played and practiced, uh, at li- like took lessons playing was actually the violin. Uh, started playing it at age five, and I think my parents always knew like I was uh, supposed to make music because. I think already at age uh, seven or eight, my dad like taught me how to, you know, burn CDs and iTunes, and so I recorded just snippets on like fifteen-second songs on the violin that I composed myself uh, with just four notes or five notes, just repeated in some melodies. I actually still remember some of them, but of course they were ri- written by a kid. But it was very fun to just at that young age be able to you know record my own cd uh but uh, then later from age 10 i stopped playing the violin and uh, started going to like a choir uh like a choir specified school uh, so it was like middle and high school uh with choir several times a week uh, very uncommon in sweden nowadays uh, but it's a very special school in that set, uh, regard. Uh, musically, I didn't really listen to a lot of different music, but I remember very fondly, uh, thought about this uh, the other day, that when I was a kid, my big brother listened to a lot of uh, rock and heavy metal music. And, you know, at first there was some that stuck out more than uh, the others, like he played Rainbow in the Dark by Dio and... Uh, a couple of Axel Rudy Pell songs I remember because they had very clear melodic uh, lines. But I think actually the first power metal song I ever heard was uh, Full Moon by Sonata Arctica. Uh, and even when we were kids, like uh, up between 7 and 10, I remember very clearly us like ri- going in the car and listening to that song on CD. And uh, it was always very, very catchy and stuck with me. Did your parents have a musical background or did they just kind of see something special in you that they um, helped, you know, foster your love of music? Uh, They themselves didn't really have a a musical background, but uh, both of my, uh, both my like grandfather on my dad's side and grandfather on my mother's side were both uh, 
like musicians worked as musicians for a long, long time. Uh, one of them played like uh, jazz on the boats to America and back, and the other one was like uh, accordion player played a lot of uh, Swedish folk songs on accordion. So they were both musicians, and I think from there it is sort of translated. Like they used to say that every every second generation was musicians or something like that. So it was your turn. Yeah, exactly. My <laughs> sister, uh, like we're four siblings in the family, and uh, me and my uh, older sister uh, are both musicians. So it's like half of us are musicians at this point. Okay. What is, and what does she do? What does she play? Uh, she mostly say, like uh, she's a singer songwriter in like uh, indie pop genre, you could say. Like, but it's very hard to like call it an exact genre. It's basically like singer songwriter sings and records her own songs and uh, has released a couple of albums now. That's and ver- very cool. Going back to some of like the early influences. I know you mentioned Axel Rudy Pell and obviously the early Sonata Artica stuff. Was it the was it the catchy melodies that drove you to that as opposed to maybe some of the other stuff that your brother had played for you? Um, and, and really just like the, uh, I guess, really the, the catchiness of it that was kind of driving you towards that style of uh, power metal? Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, I mean, when you're a kid, you obviously always gravitate towards catchy melodies and stuff like that. Uh, no matter what kind of kid you are, like that's the kind of music you listen to. And I remember very clearly, uh, like this was way before I had any sense of chords or music theory or anything. But I remember very clearly, like, okay, so The Offspring has a song, uh, The Kids Aren't All Right. And that chorus and verse is like, dun, 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 dun. And then. I remember listening to Full Moon. It's like, and that chorus uh, chords is like, dun, 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 dun. and nowadays it's like, I can finally make sense of why did I love both those songs? It's because they have a very clear and catchy chord pattern. That's nowadays it's like the most common chord pattern uh, in any kind of music. That might have been the first time anyone ever compared Offspring to Sonata Artica and made it make musical sense. That that yeah, <laughs> that actually that's amazing because those are two really great songs, but for completely different genres. So um, that that's that's awesome. Um, and it's it's funny, just you know, kind of putting a little color on it. I was a big Offspring fan as a kid, you know, as a young, young kid growing up. It was some of the first rock music, and I speak for Chris as well. It was some of the first rock music that we heard as kids when the Offspring were really big here in America. And then within about four or five years, we heard Sonata Artica, and it was the next logical extension to what we had already been, you know, listening to when we were very, very young. So it was, um, it, it makes sense because there are similarities in terms of the the way the riffs are constructed and the way that the songs are, um, you know, presented. And of course, it was that melodic nature of Sonata Artica, which blew our minds as, you know, when we first heard it. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, uh, like, to be fair, even back then, I don't think, I don't know if my brother thought of it as like, okay, this is this style of metal and this is this style of metal or like this is clearly power metal or whatever. Because uh, I know he listened to like a lot of Lost Horizon and uh, a couple of other bands in the genre back then that I had no, uh, like, didn't have any recollection of nowadays. But like, it took me almost 10 years later until like 2010, 2011, before I finally saw the whole thing and was like, Okay, so that's power metal, and this is why it sounds like that, and this is why I've sort of always liked this more than the rest of metal, pretty much. What else besides um, Sonata Artica would you say really grabbed you at at a younger age and, and kind of pushed you in the direction of how your songwriting would eventually uh, turn out as the the song the the songwriter for Skyblazer, um, you know, obviously, I hear a lot of Power Quest and and uh, Rain Seed slash Majestica, and I loved Tommy. Uh, really uh, went out and 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 
just gave your album a real uh, endorsement recently and, and, and compared you to Vince DiCola, which <laughs> yeah. must have been just a, such a great compliment for you. Uh, for those that don't know, he was the, um, he was the composer for the soundtrack of Rocky Four, which is like one of the greatest movie soundtracks ever. Um, so what kind of, so going from like full moon by Sonata Arca to where we are now, like what other bands kind of um, just led the way for you and really just uh, kind of grabbed you and sucked you into that kind of sound? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think like looking back, I think there was one very clear point. Uh, like in 2006, 2007, a certain video game uh, was released. The third in a very famous musical series uh, of video games called Guitar Hero. And, uh, like, honestly, between, like, up until 2007, I didn't really, as I said, didn't really listen to any music, wasn't very conscious about what kind of genres they were and what kind of artists there was. Like, in middle school, I pretty much only listened to what was popular and nothing else, pretty much. Uh, but then after Guitar Hero 3, I was really grabbed by just how many different sounds there were. And nice, you got that as well, of course. It was an influence on uh, me as well. I, I don't have the musical chops that you do, but if you give me the plastic guitar, I think <laughs> I can hold my own even to this day. But um, was it, was it, w- what was it about that game that really inspired you? Well, first of all, I think uh, just being able to practice uh, music like that rhythmic, uh, like just practice rhythms and practice like hearing the songs and practice like listening in pulse and everything else. Like I think uh, that game almost taught me more about pop music theory than uh, school did because at that point I was so much uh, in school. It was pretty much only classical choir and occasionally some kind of modern vocal arrangement, but mostly, mostly it was just classical choir stuff. And uh, through Guitar Hero, it was pretty much like, okay, here are so many different uh, rock subgenres. And since that game was like almost exclusively hard rock and heavy metal uh, com- uh, compared to the other games. And so... Uh, when you finish the game and you get that end credit song and it's through the Fire and Flames by Dragon Force, uh, by that point, it was just like, okay, that song and like the final battle against the devil, that song as well, like I think those two was just on the in my headphones for several weeks uh, on repeat because it was what, some of the best stuff I've ever heard. And so... I, I- a oh, couple God. of years later, it was like, okay, now I can finally dig into the rest of Dragon Force. And by that point, it was like 2009, 2010. And then I was completely sold. Was there something about that game that made you want to pick up a, a real guitar and learn how to play? And, and did that almost kind of like open up this this whole world of, of, of the idea of being a, a, a musician, a rock musician? Because... I have very fond memories. That was the first Guitar Hero game that I ever bought. I pre-ordered it, I remember, and it came in the big box with the uh, with the guitar. I think it was like Sla- a Slash's guitar. I think it was like a, 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 a what do you call it, a, a replica of Slash's guitar. And um, I had it for uh, Xbox 360, and I just remember loving that. And then, like you said, you get to the end, and you're in the credits, and then all of a sudden they're like, here you go, play Through the Fire and Flames. And I was just like, holy crap. I can't believe this is happening right now that they, they put a metal song into this, like a real power metal song, not just any metal song, but a power metal song into this guitar hero game. Um, I, but the difference being, I didn't go and learn how to play any real instruments and make an album like you did. So clearly yeah. that, that struck a chord with you, no pun intended. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, like guitar three definitely opened the, my ears to a lot of different music. And then, it just kept on going. There were several more Guitar Hero games that I bought, obviously, because I loved that one so much. But I think it actually was Rock Band that uh, made set me on a course to being like, okay, now I sort of understand what the different instruments are doing. Because 
in Guitar Hero 3 it's, and Rock Band, we play the guitar, it's pretty much like, okay, hit the different notes, and they play a lot of different uh, sounding stuff. But then when I started playing, like, okay, let's try the bass part or let's try the drum part, it's like, okay, now it's I'm starting to see what they're all doing differently. Like uh, when I started to play the bass drum, it was like, okay, so the bass is just playing this note over and over again, and then it switches to this, and then it switches to this. Then I started listening to it, and I was like, oh, okay, I see what they're doing. Uh, and you so see sort the of, relationship between yeah. the different instruments. Is- so it was sort of like I learned bass without learning bass, pretty much. Uh, learned what it was doing. And then the same thing with the drums, because then I think with the drums in Rock Band and Guitar Hero, it's actually really important and really valuable because you're actually learning the kinetics of hitting something with a drumstick. You're learning rhythm in a complete... Uh, and uh, like the... What do you call it? Yeah, the kinetics and just being able to move both hands at the same time and you're learning rhythm in a completely new way. And that was really important to me, I think, because just less than a year later, I found a drum store in a few minutes from my house and used to go there all the time to practice on real drums and electric drums as well. That was going to be my question. My next question, which was after your exposure, you know, through the games, what was your um, path to exploring the different instruments? Because when you write a project like, like Skyblazer, I mean, you are literally a one man show you're doing the whole thing. So I was wondering what the progression was for the different instruments that you would pick up. Yeah, so uh, the first one, like uh, out of rock and metal instruments, pretty much was definitely drums. Uh, in uh, When I was a senior in high school, I used to play drums on my knees all the time, like uh, annoy my teachers in class, uh, just playing on the knees and uh, used to do that all the time. Uh, joined the band when I was six, 16 years old. Uh, that was the first band I ever played in. And so after that, it was pretty much like, okay, this band, and now the next one, and so forth. And then at that point, I also started playing keyboards a lot because I realized that, okay, chords are very easy to play in power metal because compared to other metal genres, power metal use different chords all the fucking time. (laughs) And so it was very easy to, like, any song in the power metal genre, you could basically replicate on a piano uh, very easily uh, if you learn the chords. And I happened to have a very, like, secret ingredient in my brain, which was uh, absolute pitch. And so in, uh, like between 16 and 18 years old, I realized like transcribing different power metal songs in my head was just incredibly easy mm. and uh, just started doing it all the time. That that actually makes a lot of sense because if you've ever seen your like Facebook uh, live videos where you'll sit down, it, it's really like um, the heavy metal piano bar because people will just be like, play Hearts on Fire by Hammerfall. And you're like, sure. And like, it's, it's like amazing how people could just basically request anything. And I've even been in there and been like, you know, play a power quest song and here we go. And it's, it's amazing how you just can just play it like that. Like it's really, it's almost like having a a piano jukebox um, where you just put it in a quarter and, and (laughs) and pick your song and and let it go. I was, I'm really impressed by that. So that actually makes a lot of sense as to why that seems to come very easy to you. Yeah. And it's uh, like, I know it's sort of a surprise to a lot of people because I don't really speak about that very often that I do, that I actually have perfect pitch and apps or absolute pitch or what do you call it? But to me, it's like always been there and, it's not something that I think about uh, a lot that I do have because it just it's just there. Uh, and to me, it's like it's almost more difficult to imagine what it's like not having it. So me working with other musicians have led to a couple of, you know, uh, difficulties sometime where like to get into musician lingo, uh, if a guitarist 
uh, tunes down the guitar two steps, then a D becomes a C in uh, how it's uh, heard. And so I say, okay, so we're playing this in C minor. They're like, no, it's in D minor. What are you talking? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm playing C on the keyboard. Yeah, I'm playing D on the guitar. I was like, okay, but you have transposed down. So it doesn't work. Like, it's still in C minor the way it's heard. And yeah, that's led to a a couple of guitarist discussions, as I like to call it. Um, So what was the beginning of Skyblazer? I know, obviously, that you would um, come out with the Time for Deliverance EP about two years ago. I guess it was the middle of COVID or what have you, but to talk about the beginning of the band and how you really kind of decided, I want to put this project out and, and, and put out some music under this, uh, under this name. Yeah, of course. Uh, so the Skyblazer name, uh, I actually came up with uh, like very long ago. Uh, I think it was in 2012 that I like constructed like a conceptual uh, cover art in Photoshop with like a Skyblazer, very cheap logo with just text and uh, basic effects on, and was like, "This is gonna be my new power metal album, and it's gonna have this track list with these song titles and stuff." Nice. Uh, and the funny thing is, that's still how, kind of how I work nowadays when trying to come up with new ideas. Just write down random song titles and then be like, "Okay, can I make something of this?" Uh, or get some ideas out of this. But back then, it was basically... uh, I had four or five ideas for songs, and they were all based on different video games or different movies or such. Uh, And the lyrics were obviously very juvenile because I was uh, 18 and 19 when I wrote them. But nowadays, when I look back, I realize that a couple of the songs... Actually, was re- uh, actually were really well arranged harmonically and uh, with the chords and stuff. So it took me several years playing in different other bands, honing the skills uh, to you know being able to ro- record on my own using a DAW to edit sounds and edit songs and stuff until in 2018 and 19 when I finally bought. A sound card, like a proper sound card, and started like recording stuff on my own. And at that point, uh, it was like two years before Time for Deliverance was released. And I had a whole other plan uh, to release the f- album first. And it was this uh, track list, and I had prepared everything the drum tracks, the keyboard tracks. I was just supposed to record the guitars. And it just couldn't be done. I tried to record the guitars and I just couldn't get the takes correct. Uh, tried to edit it, didn't matter. And like at the same time, I couldn't get the production to fit my uh, expectations and wishes. And so just put it on hold again, pretty much. And uh, yeah, then in tw- to 2021, I had started working a lot with uh, Cedric Forsberg from Blaze and Stone, who also, like, it's self-producing, uh, self-produces almost everything he's in. Uh, and uh, most other bands he has been a part of, he has produced and mixed uh, that as well. Like, he's a member of uh, my other band, Palantir, uh, and he mixed and mastered both of those albums as well. And so he decided... Uh, and we decided that he can mix and master the EP Time for Deliverance and give me tips on recording. And he uh, guided me a lot through the recording process and what what levels should I set the guitar to, what kind of plugins should I use to make it more uh, like easier when it's supposed to come to mixing. And so this, the skills that he taught me really, really... Uh, helped me a lot and made it so much easier when it was time to record the, the full album. It's interesting because as talented as many musicians are at playing, you know, whatever it is that they play, once you get into the mixing and the mastering process, it's a completely different skill set that 
not everybody has or takes the time to learn. And that's why you have people that just deal with that side of things. So to be able to not only record, but then produce the entire thing yourself um, has to be very gratifying and satisfying to you because it's, again, it's, 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 it's almost like you're doing it on both sides, the right, the songwriting process, the, um, the, the recording, and then obviously putting the package together for the, for the fans at the end. Yeah. And the, uh... Like that to me, because uh, as we said earlier, like obviously Tommy Johnson is one of my uh, biggest inspirations in the writing and recording my own Parmel songs. Uh, and he has he had been doing it himself for many, many years. But I think for many people, even his albums, like when you listen to the old stuff, you can definitely tell that it's self-produced and... Uh, you know, the production hasn't aged uh, as well as some other stuff. But with Cedric, I could really tell, like, okay, I think this guy really knows his stuff, really knows just how to get a very good mix out of very little energy and very little time. And so, like, he taught me very quick tricks and uh, easy fixes to get the mix out. And so I... uh, like struggled with the mix for the full album uh, for like maybe four or five months. And then that was put on hold for like uh, two months in the middle of uh, 2022. And then uh, all of a sudden I decided to like, okay, just gonna email this out to a couple of different labels, uh, smaller and bigger And then uh, actually a couple of them uh, like called me back and were like, yeah, the mix sounds good. Uh, How about this deal for this uh, album release and released like at this point in the year? And so I was really surprised that the mix was apparently good enough for these uh, labels to decide it was uh, good enough to release it. And so I just looked at the different deals that uh, everybody offered me and uh, decided that Elevate Records was uh, the perfect fit for me at this stage. That's uh, that's really cool. I mean, to, to be able to, to be like the master of your own destiny on so many uh, fronts when making an album, I think, like Justin said, it's got to be very satisfying. Um, wh- how did you... Um, h- how did you fall into the songwriting process like as someone who you know um you said like has this perfect pitch did you find being able to to compose music easy were you the type that would like actually hand write the compositions or is it something where it was just in your head and you just it just went from your head to your hands onto the piano like how does that uh work for you personally that's a good question. I think uh, because a lot of people, uh, I think, get the ideas and then just can record it immediately. Uh, that d- have never actually worked for me because for me, it's always about uh, I can have an idea, but I can also be extremely, extremely picky about small details, uh, not in like production phase trying to come up with different effects and stuff like that it's almost for me it's always been to the point of okay here the guitarist is supposed to go like da 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 or or it's it's like okay but then it's supposed to be like da na 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 da na da 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 and then like those smaller details uh have always mattered to me so much uh, right. when getting the music down so for me uh in almost every song that I've ever made, uh, I've always used Guitar Pro and put in every note, uh, every single note by hand, uh, just to be able to hear it being played by MIDI first and then be like, okay, so this sounds good. No, wait here, the bass line is all wrong. It's not supposed to go like that. Or here it sounds way too basic. It's... Uh, like this sounds very stock and this sounds like every other power metal band. How can I make it more interesting? Uh, Could I make it? Okay. I changed this chord. Okay. Now it sounds way, way better. And then once I'm 100% happy with it, I can 
like export the MIDIs and start recording the actual song. And so the idea for Infinity's Wings, was it often a guitar riff that was the inspiration? Was it a drum fill that you would kind of work around? Or was it just like a keyboard? I mean, because obviously the keyboards are very prominent on the album. Was it kind of a keyboard um, uh, driven writing process? In other words, where, where, where did the genesis of most of these songs come from? Or was it different throughout where you had different ideas and you kind of molded them together? It's definitely diff- different throughout because uh, uh, many of the songs, uh, like several of the songs, were composed uh, as far back as Skybase's origins, like in 2012, 2014. Uh, like songs like Eyes of Serenity, Under the Blazing Sky, One Million Ways, and uh, Skyblazer, the title track, as well as uh, Eternalize the Dream. All of those were actually composed back between. 2012 and 2015 Uh, and so the composition process for all of those songs were incredibly varied Uh, like Under the Blazing Sky of course that was just me messing around with two different chords on a Casio brass synth was like I was like this sounds perfect (laughs) just put it in and be like okay just guitars follow the synths and then it's like okay this sounds really really good then just move on to the next song. Eyes of Serenity was definitely like uh, started writing the guitar melody first and then putting all the chords behind it. Uh, so it's different throughout. Uh, a lot of the newer songs for the album, like Shine Forth and uh, Infinity's Wings, the title track, were more or less written like in my head, just sitting on the bus and coming up with like, don't. And then once I have something in my head, uh, I've always had the philosophy that I have to record the idea as quick as possible before it (laughs) exits my head. And so um, if anybody in Stockholm has ever seen a a very tired man uh, on the subway at 8 in the morning be like on his phone like... (laughs) Then that's probably me. <laughs> that's great. That's that. That's a testament to the uh, the technology of the day, where you know that wasn't a, a, a something that you know Dio probably was able to do back in the day. <laughs> Couldn't whip his phone out and, and hum a, a melody into it and, and save it for later. So yeah, that's uh, the the <laughs> the wonders of of modern technology. Um, you know, I'm glad you mentioned under the blazing sky because I think um, Justin and I both. I think agree that this is our, our favorite song from the album. And for me, that chord that, like you said, that just opens it up. It instantly took me back to um, what being a kid and playing video games. It it reminded me of like a super NES or a Genesis kind of vibe. Um, There's definitely video game elements. Um, Man or machine, which was a song that was on the the time for deliverance EP is uh, is like an homage to mega man. Uh, Morning Star is a song that you wrote that is influenced by Castlevania. Um, how much do video games influence the songwriting? Do you have, is it more about the themes or is it actual like um, like game composers that have influenced you like a, a Nobuo Uematsu or, or an, a, 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 I think a... Um, Forgetting her name, but she was the composer for uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, uh, uh, Mishiru Yamane, I believe. Um, were that were those soundtracks an influence for you, or um, were you more just kind of like I like video games and I'm going to write songs about video games, but not actually like use the the, the, the musical themes from it? Yeah, that's that a good sense. that's a good question because I think a lot of people write uh, albums like with concepts about uh, different video games or movies and not necessarily get musically influenced by them. And that has actually always been a pet peeve of mine. Like when you write something that's supposed to be uh, about a certain like fantasy video game or fantasy movie and the music sounds almost very generic like it the like the music without hearing the lyrics will not transport you back to that uh, exact medium 
has always been something that I've never liked uh, particularly. So for me, it was always important to have some elements uh, being influenced musically by the video games, of course. And uh, that actually helped me a lot. Uh, a few years ago, we put up a school concert uh, at the college, music college where I went to. Uh, then it was like an orchestral concert that uh, I arranged and produced uh, with the help of some other people. And, uh, of course, the orchestra, with the help of the orchestra who did everything for free, that was just amazing. So there we played only video game songs uh, that I arranged for Symphonic Orchestra as well as uh, three other guys who who did some of their own arrangements as well. There, once you start arranging and transcribing uh, the bass line to like the main theme from Castlevania 4 and be like, okay, what does actually the drummer do in the Castlevania 4, like Simon's theme? Then it's like insane how difficult it is to actually be able to play. I think the bass player and the drummer just went to me like, what the fuck is this? What (laughs) what What are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> like this is impossible to play, uh, so uh, I was like, "Are you sure it's impossible?" Like I can do some uh, adjustments, of course, if you want. And then they came back like two days later and was like, "No, no, I okay, I I think I've got it down. Okay, I can do it." <laughs> That's so it's, it's funny um, to think about it because when those songs were written, they the composers were probably like, "Well." I'm never going to have to play this live. It's just going to be, you know, put, it's going to be electronically put into this game. Yeah. And now exactly. years later, you know, here you are being like, all right, now we have to play it live. Good luck, yeah. everyone. <laughs> There's like one part in um, like the first stage of Castlevania three, it goes like, and then the baseline, it just, and like so difficult, so fast, and so many like different weird rhythms that doesn't make any sense when you just read them. But you have to hear it in context with everything else. Then it sounds like amazing. And I think that's part of the um, why those game sat- soundtracks. And this goes back, you know, f- goes back to the early days of Nintendo and and whatnot. You know, you can go back forty years on some of this stuff. But the games are so. The, the the music is so good that that kind of sucks you into games that may even not be that that good because you just want to hear the music and you never even thought about hearing any of that stuff live and I'm sh- and, and to Chris's point earlier I'm sure they weren't composed for for the live setting they were composed for the game they did a great job and then bringing that to life with a full orchestra or or whatnot it has to be very very satisfying but it's also for for those playing it. You know, it's got to be a little bit of a headache, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I know some of them uh, were really annoyed by a lot of the stems. Like, I know the violinists really fucking hated the, <laughs> what was it, battle theme from Final Fantasy VI. Because it was oh, like, when the other guy arranged that for violins, I was like, this is going to be tough. <laughs> and as somebody that grew up on the violin, even you had a, an appreciation for why that was going to be uh, particularly difficult. Yeah. I've never played uh, anything that fast on violin when I was a kid. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, um, what were some of the other songs that you uh, composed for that concert? Because me and Justin are both big video game guys, so uh, especially the music side of it. So I, I, I'm just curious what other songs that you guys did. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, uh, like, we started out with, uh, like, an overture I composed for the whole concert to very last minute, but it was really fun. Then we headed straight into, like, Castlevania medley, uh, just the main themes from, like, the first five game, uh, for f- first four games, as well as Symphony of the Night. Uh, then we had two, two, like my two favorites uh, two arranged, which was a Metroid medley and uh, a Chrono Trigger medley as well. Uh, then we played like a Zelda medley that someone else arranged, uh, a Final Fan- uh, two Final Fantasy medleys that uh, the other guys arranged as well. And then we 
ended off with uh, a Metal Gear Solid medley, uh, Super Mario medley, and like the final thing we did was just Tetris with like starting very slow and then building up the tempo until it was just crazy fast. Like, wow. like to represent the influences it came from, from, like Russian folk songs and like being gradually faster and faster and faster and faster. Was this recorded and where can I buy it? <laughs> uh, it was uh, definitely recorded uh, oh. on uh, even on multicam footage and uh, it's available for free on YouTube. Oh, awesome. I'll have to check that out. Um, I so, can uh, tell you the name of the concert is Songs from Our Save Files. But uh, when oh. you when you search for it on YouTube, you have to correct the uh, like spelling because it's it wants to be like songs from uh, our save files. But save files is one word, so you have to correct. Okay, I that. just pulled it, I just pulled it up, so I'm definitely yeah. saving this for later because this is yeah. this is super cool. Um, get kind of. Kind of connecting what what you were just saying about the the difficulty of of playing certain parts um, on this album, Infinity's Wings. There's several guest guitar soloists, uh, including uh, Jeff Taft, who um, is actually a friend of the podcast. Um, were these parts that you didn't feel you could perform as a guitarist that were just too complicated? Or did you just want to have some people kind of uh, add their kind of um, flair to the album? Or, or was it really just, I want to have somebody who's a re- like a really good, uh, you know, solo guitarist fill in these spots that maybe you, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not assuming that you're not a great guitar player. I don't know one way or the other. I'm just curious if um, there was a reason because uh According to um, Metal Archives, there's at least four different um, guitar solos done by, by a number of different people. Yeah, definitely. And uh, like I think it's uh, both because, uh, for one thing, I am definitely not a solo guitarist. I consider myself the rhythmiest of rhythm guitarists. Uh, and uh, so, obviously, the solos had to be done by someone else. And even on the EP, I think I had like even more guest guitarist than on Infinity's Wings. I'm not sure. Maybe it was the same amount. But uh, on Infinity's Wings, uh, I mainly had two guys who did the majority of the guitar solos. Uh, Jack Stanley from uh, United Kingdom plays in bands like uh, Vulpelkula and uh, Virtan Rice. And then also uh, Frederick Eriksson from Palantir did uh, three solos and some leads as well. The rest of them uh, were actually portioned out, but it was mainly an excuse for me to work with different people I'd met uh, online over the years and was like, okay, but I would like you to record a solo for me. Are you interested in this? I think this song would fit you perfectly. And they, they would be like, yes, 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 of course. <laughs> And so uh, it was actually not very difficult to get all the guest guitar parts because, uh, yeah, I've been blessed with so many friends, uh, online friends over the years that are so nice and so uh, eager to uh, perform this kind of music. Well, that, the, that, that's great. The, the album has now been out. It'll be two months um, on Monday, if I'm not mistaken, that this will be out. And it's been getting rave reviews, not only from Tommy that we mentioned earlier, um, but just across the board. And I was curious, as someone that writes and, and composes and ultimately records and then produces this, do you take a look at the reviews that are out there? Because again, that you've been getting rave reviews, or do you kind of just do your own thing and ignore what the, the metal press might be saying? Because I, I read a lot of the reviews and some of the stuff is just like, I'm blown away by the the the, the words that people are saying about this album. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, like, I think anybody who says uh, they're never, uh, like, what do you call it? Yeah, anybody that says they're never affected by uh, right. reading any review is, I think, lying uh, because 
it's almost impossible to not get affected by uh, what someone writes about you uh, online. And uh, in that way, I think uh, it's a double-edged sword because uh, I think it's it can be very good, but also sort of dangerous to fall into the fact that if peop- if I only read all of the positive reviews, I just get like very comfortable in that. Okay, there's no problem with this. Just make the same stuff next album, and uh, all is good. And so I've actually taken into account very uh, carefully, like when I read the reviews and be like, okay, what are they commenting on specifically? Are they commenting on like uh, differences in the song? Are they commenting on uh, my capabilities as a songwriter or my capabilities as a musician? And be like, okay, so what can I actually, and what am I actually willing to adjust or like try to better for the next album? And what can I actually be like, okay, it doesn't know what he's talking about. Not, not going to care about that. Ignore uh, that one. Because there are definitely those examples when I read a comment and be like, okay, but so you give this album uh, shit for being like very mediocre, but you give that album praise for, uh, even though it's like the most mediocre I've ever heard, then I'm like, I don't even care uh, because... You know, consider you, consider yeah. the source of yeah, who is yeah, making like everything with a grain of salt, and That's right. definitely consider the source as well. Uh, but yeah, I definitely take everything into account when reading the reviews, and I want to obviously make the next album not just the sophomore effort and uh, like just the same thing again. Just obviously, I want to make it so that the next album actually will seem as an improvement. Uh, and I'm, though- I'm glad you talked about a next album because I guess that means that there will be more music from Skyblazer in the future. Oh, that's uh, um, 100% guarantee because uh, as of now, uh, like without spoiling too much, I think I can safely say that 95% of another album is already written. Uh, wow. So... That means pretty much the only 5% that are left is like details and perfectionist shit that uh, I'm going to be working with until the next year, pretty much. (laughs) But uh, that's the same thing as well, because for me, it's like, even though it's like almost finished, I'm not going to start recording it now because the same thing here. Uh, I think recording albums, just releasing one every year, uh, even though I think, yes, it was really nice to get this many Blaze and Stone, this many Rocky Rollers albums, and this many Rain Seed albums. Uh, I think obviously, like, looking at how, what Tommy did and where he ended up in 2013 to 2016, I think there's a very big risk of burning out when recording at that high capacity. Sure. And so obviously I don't want to rush myself too much it's it's almost like uh opening up a good bottle of wine you gotta let it breathe a little bit and give it some time and 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 i mean like justin said this album's not even two months old and and so there's probably a ton of people who haven't even heard it yet um we're hoping that doing this podcast will um lead to some people who have who haven't heard it to giving it a, a, a listen i i was telling justin the other day, this is the album I've listened to the most of any albums that have come out so far this year. I've listened to it 11 times uh, as of yesterday. I nice. love it. Um, <laughs> it just, I'm very it, honored. It's, it, but it just, uh, like you mentioned before, like you said, you know, when we're kids, we want to hear things that are melodic and catchy and, and just catch our ear like Sonata Artica was for us in 1999. Um, this is what this is for me where it just, you know, if I'm in the middle of a work day and I feel like I'm, I'm having like a mental block and I need something to kind of just pick me up, I'll make a cup of coffee and pop this album on and it it gets me just, it gets me pumped up. And that's what, one of the things I always loved about Power Quest and, and Rain Seed slash Majestica and even going back to Halloween when I first started listening to Power Metal, like that's the kind of music that really just drives me forward. So I... I'm a big fan of this album and that's why I really wanted to 
do this interview. Um, one of the, the, the last things I, I want to ask is, um, do you have a desire to turn this into a live act at some point in the future? Because if so, you're going to have to get a band together. You can't get out there and do all the instruments by yourself as, as much as I'm sure you'd like to, um, you know, much like Tommy had to make a band so that Rainseed could play live shows. Like, uh, what what would be in the future as far as a live act if that's something that interests you? Yeah, uh, like I th- I think uh, I told uh, someone else this as well. Like uh, making a live band of Skyblazer, like there are no clear ambitions and goals for me to do it at this point. Uh, however, it's like. I can if I want to, uh, like, sort of, because I know people that uh, are willing and very capable to play uh, this sort of music. And uh, it's also a case of uh, I would like to, but I'm not going to start, like, chasing gigs and shows and stuff. Uh, A big issue in Sweden for up-and-coming bands right now is that stages are very limited and there are they are disappearing by the hour pretty much so for an up and coming band it's like okay there are pretty much no options unless you want to play at a bar uh, for drunk people and get uh, like pretty much have to pay to play uh, right. and for that reason it's like okay i'm not going to do that so pretty much in that case, I can might as well just keep recording and writing music and building the name so that eventually, you know, maybe sometime along in the future, uh, someone asks, okay, do you want to play this gig uh, with like another band or this festival? Uh, we can pay you this much. And then it's like, then it becomes an issue of, okay, now... I have a goal. Now I can get people together to record and uh, or uh, play live. That's that's perfect. Um, I want to I want to leave leave with well, one final thing. Unless um, Justin has another question, my my question is: Now that the album's been out for two months, um, talk about uh, some of the things that you love the most about this album, and talk about if there was anything that now that it's out there that maybe you were disappointed about, or maybe there was something that you thought could have turned out better. Um, just kind of like highs and lows uh, now that the album's been, been out there for a couple months. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so like what I am definitely most uh, like, I wouldn't even say disappointed because I, as I said before, uh, from my point of view, it was like, okay, the record, co- like three different record companies, considered this good enough to release. So I'm gonna do it as well. Uh, so I wasn't really disappointed with it, but definitely stuff that I want to improve uh, for the next album, uh, 100%, are stuff like I think the vocal production is slightly uh, weak compared to a lot of other albums uh, because that was like the most difficult to mix into the songs and uh, make it feel organic compared to everything else. And also I think like, obviously the mixing overall, I think uh, isn't as good as a lot of other Mel albums being released at this point, because yeah, this is definitely the first time I've ever mixed and mastered uh, like my own songs at all at this level. Uh, and so, yeah, for the first time, I'm very, like, I'm not disappointed at all. At all. For the first, like, for this being my first time mixing and mastering an album, I'm very happy that it turned out this way, uh, as well as it did, and that record companies were glad and excited to being able to release it. Like, highs uh, is, like, almost too much to count, but... Uh, <laughs> I think for me, like a couple of high points were like getting uh, David Hendrickson from Insania to guest voice uh, the stick in uh, Eternalize the Dream, 
that whole song has been one of my proudest achievements since I wrote it uh, almost 10 years ago. And so being able to finally see that uh, being fulfilled and having it as like an epic closer almost on an album, uh, it was really satisfying to me. And I always, like if there's one song I listen to the most uh, on the album myself, it's probably that one. Uh, because- it's funny you mentioned that. I um, I remember hearing World of Ice when it came out back in 1999. So I know I'm dating myself a little bit, but then to hear his vocals, I was like, Oh my God, I haven't heard this voice in a long time. So it was, it was quite, it was quite a callback for me. I I enjoyed that as well. Yeah. And so um, like also uh, being able to work with uh, Vide Bjerde again, the vocalist from Vandor, that was uh, another high point, Uh, very good friends with him. And he's a fantastic vocalist and songwriter. Uh, Also being able to like, see all the different melodies and stems and chords and be like when I actually recorded it starting to work out like okay in the guitar profile this sounded the best but now it's like okay I try something else with the guitar or something uh, different and then hearing it in full production I was like wow this sounds way way better uh and also, of course, yes, the one final thing that I'm very that I was very, very happy with uh, on the album was the choirs, because I think recording choirs uh, like in choir harmonies is probably the most fun to do ever. Uh, like I have a friend uh, and now temporary bandmate, uh, David Orkeson. And we always talk about choir recordings and how much fun it is to arrange different harmonies and recording diff- like a lot of different takes and making them seem like an epic battle choir. That's just really fun to do. That's great. Um, I really, I'll speak for Chris and myself. We really appreciate the time. I'll just ask one more question, and that is um, whether it be your other bands or f- other future projects, can you talk just a little bit about what the future holds for you in addition to Skyblazer? Yeah, of course. Uh, like One of the things I'm mostly looking forward to uh, right now, the next month, where uh, I'm going on tour uh, with Symphonity. We're like... Uh, uh, we're going on a European tour. We're supporting uh, Rhapsody of Fire. That's going to be uh, incredible. Really looking forward to that. Uh, as well as uh, currently recording some upcoming songs with Palantir as well. So, yeah, it's good that the Skyblaze album was released when it was because now for the next uh, three to four months, I have a lot of different things uh, to do with uh, my other bands, which is going to be really, really amazing. Perfect. Look forward to that. Do you have any, um, just anything you want to plug as far as uh, social media or any anywhere where people might uh, want to find you? Um, just now's the chance to just uh, plug away. Yeah, of course. Uh, if you live in Europe, uh, if you live uh, like anywhere from Germany to Czech Republic or Italy, please consider to going to the Rhapsody of Fire concerts. Uh, we're going to have such a blast. I'm looking so much forward to meeting all the fans on the road. Uh, also, if you like the Skyblaze album, please consider buying the CD if you haven't already and buy the shirt. There are still several mediums left, uh, which is pretty much the size that I over-ordered from. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. We'll uh, we'll put all of the links in uh, the description so everyone can kind of find your stuff. If they're listening to the podcast, they can easily uh, find and support you. Uh, as we said, we really appreciate the time. We wish you nothing uh, but the best of luck, and maybe we'll do this again uh, as 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 we hear uh, more stuff from you going forward. That sounds really good. Really looking forward to hearing from you guys again. Thanks, uh, thanks so much again for taking some time and just talking to us. Like I said, this album really um, really blew me away, and I really thought that you deserve to. Uh, to get 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 out there and and i know we don't reach a ton of people but if it means that even a handful of more people get to hear this album that that weren't aware of it then you know uh that's that's mission accomplished yeah exactly and i 
was my pleasure. It was always fun to hang out with uh, like-minded power metal fans, of course. Absolutely. All right. Have a well, great day. Cheers. Yep. Thanks again. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll continue to uh, apprise our audience of what's going on in the world of of Johannes going forward. Uh, thanks a lot, and have a great day. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day.